Amen. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. In just a minute, we're going to uh, participate in communion. Uh, as Andy said, it's a beautiful time to just take uh, extra time and really focus on communion. Before we do, we're going to have uh, just a devotional I'd like to share with you from God's Word to kind of prepare our hearts for that. And before we do that, I would like to pray for us so that uh, the Lord might open our minds and hearts and that we might uh, be ready to experience Him uh, in this place. Would you bow your heads as I lead us in prayer? God, we thank you that we can come to you at the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. Uh, Lord, at the beginning of 2020, this is not how we expected this service to go. Uh, Lord, with many of our church family and friends joining us online and some here in the sanctuary, God, uh, with masks and social distancing rules and all those sorts of things. But God, one thing is the same. You are the same God today as you were then. And you have shown yourself to be faithful throughout this year. So Lord, I bless and praise your name. God, thank you for uh, counting us worthy to suffer, uh, Lord God, and that I praise you that in our, not really great, but in our sufferings, Lord, we were conformed more and more to the image of Jesus, and we pray that his resurrection power would be at work, and as things in our life, uh, Lord, went away this year, uh, God, that he might shine ever more brightly through us, and as we let go of things that we wanted to hold on to, uh, Lord, in our sacrifice, may his glory be revealed in us. Thank you, Lord, that we can let go of and forget what is behind and press on towards what is ahead. God, who is like you? You are the only one, the only thing in which the future is always better than the present. How can that possibly be? Except, God, that you are infinitely loving and good and kind and you keep moving us towards better and better things for us. Lord, we pray that you would help us this year to set our minds on things above and not on things of the earth. It's so hard after the year that we've had, uh, Lord, not to focus on things of the earth. God, I also pray that through this year that we would think at the close of the year, who do we need to forgive as you have forgiven us? Uh, Lord, who do we need to bear with and be loving towards? Lord, who do we need to be compassionate with? Uh, God, you have been so kind and compassionate to us. Bring others to mind that we might love and care for them in the way that you have loved and cared for us. As we open your word, Jesus, as, as we celebrate communion, be, be near to us during this time, for we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, 2020 has been quite a year. Lots of stuff has happened. Uh, pandemic. We had lots of racial issues and justice that we've had to deal with, political things going on, craziness in business and in markets, travel, canceled, sports, school, all sorts of stuff we were not expecting. The thing is, is that most of us, if you're like me, you're looking forward to a new year, uh, something different. But one thing that does concern me about 2020 that I'm afraid is going to continue on into 2021 is maybe not all of the details of what happened, but the problem is, is that as we've experienced those things this year, it is highlighted within us as a country and within us as a people and with us as a human race, some really ungodly tendencies. 
specifically a lack of civility towards others, a lack of kindness, a lack of compassion, an unwillingness to forgive. And while the circumstances hopefully will change, if we don't do something about the fact that way too many of us saw modeled in politics, among leaders, on social media, and way too many of us participated in the kind of behavior that was filled with anger and hatred and bitterness and backbiting and strife, and we denounced people who were trying to lead us through this pandemic, we complained about things happening at work or at school, there was strife, all sorts of protesting or rioting and people unhappy about all kinds of different things. There was just a general sense of demonizing people who were different than we were and being angry about things, saying things that just weren't out of a heart of kindness or compassion or love. And the goal is if we don't do something about that, even though the circumstances might change next year, those things are going to continue and they are displeasing to the Lord. And so as I thought about what should we do at the end of 2020, Lord willing, we'll return to our study of Revelation next week, but this week, just as a devotional to prepare us for communion, it seemed appropriate to take our minds off of all the stuff we might have done wrong or all the ways in which that lack of civility was modeled for us and take just a few minutes and remember how Jesus interacted with others. His example is so radically different than what we've seen modeled for us that it's good at the end of the year and as we think about a new year coming to be reminded of what compassion and kindness and love look like in human form. So I'd like to invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, it's page 792 in the church Bibles. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to look at a miracle that Jesus performs, but more important than the miracle itself is I want us to notice his attitude, Jesus' attitude, as he interacts with the Pharisees and teachers of the law who are opposing him. So Matthew chapter 12, the miracle takes place in verse nine, starts in verse nine. The story is, is Jesus is with his disciples and they're going from place to place and they're encountering Pharisees, religious leaders, teachers of the law who are acting antagonistically toward Jesus. Verse nine, going on from that place, he, Jesus, went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now on the surface, that might feel like a question you would ask a religious leader. Hey, this is a tough question, what do you say about this? But this has the sense that we experience so much today of that sort of gotcha politics where people are not really asking questions because they're seeking information, they're asking questions to try to trap, to try to incriminate, to try to win an argument. That's what these religious leaders are doing. It's a very antagonistic engagement 
And so they come at Jesus in the guise of a question, but they're not interested in what he has to say about this. They're trying to humiliate him, trap him, trick him. How does Jesus respond? Verse 11, he said to them, if any of you have a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Now Jesus is asked a question, and even though the question is meant to trap him, he uses it as an opportunity to affirm this core tenet of compassion and mercy and love. He says, anytime you want to do good, you're always doing the right thing, and the Sabbath is a great time to do good. A Sabbath is a great time to be loving and compassionate. And in his love and compassion, he tries to teach even his opponents so that they might see the truth. Now, the thing I love about this miracle that Jesus performs in response to their antagonistic question is that it is a very oblique miracle in the sense of it's not clear who's doing this miracle. Many miracles that Jesus does, he speaks some words or he spits on the ground or he touches a person, or he puts fingers in someone's ears. It's very clear that Jesus is doing the miracle, not this one. Jesus just simply says, stretch out your hand. He doesn't ask if the man has enough faith. There's no interaction from Jesus except stretch out your hand. The man stretches out his hand and his hand is healed. And the subtle implication is, who healed this hand? Not Jesus, but God the Father. Which means, who's working on the Sabbath? God is. Notice it's a very kind, very subtle, very gentle point that he is making to his opponents. You've come up with all of these rules about the Sabbath, but know what God is doing. On the Sabbath, God is always actively loving. He is always being compassionate. And kind. Now, if Jesus was playing gotcha politics, he would have made a big deal out of this. He would have thrown it in their face. He would have perhaps called down fire from heaven to show them that they were wrong. But instead, very gently, very subtly, very kindly, he makes the point, you're thinking about this incorrectly. How do they respond to Jesus' compassion and kindness? Verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Again, do you recognize the attitude that is so prevalent in our culture today? to demonize our opponents, to cancel anybody who might say something different than we're saying, to want to kill or destroy or root out those who think differently. 
That all the stuff we've experienced, whether it comes to thinking through politics and someone or how masks are supposed to work or what the government might do, this idea of plotting how to get our way because whoever is against us must be wrong. This is the attitude of the Pharisees. How does Jesus respond to this? Verse 15, aware of this, aware of what? that they want to kill him. (laughs) He understands that they are plotting to kill him. What does he do in response? Jesus withdrew from that place, not because he's afraid. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. Now, wait a second. Jesus who is fully God and has all the resources that he needs to call down angelic armies and to get the people who are plotting to kill him, instead of engaging with them, he simply withdraws. He's like, I've come here to heal and to bless. And when he goes out healing, of course, this makes him super popular. Jesus is blessing people with miraculous healings. You would think if it was you and I, we would then leverage that healing into more followers on social media. And we would use that increased popularity to push our agenda and to try to demonstrate how we're wrong and we're right and everybody else who opposes us is wrong. But Jesus tries to tamp down even on his popularity. Don't tell anybody, I'm here to heal. I'm not here to become famous. So foreign is this to us because of all we experience this year and many years on social media, news media, in politics, with famous people, in the culture in which we live, that we see Jesus do something like that and we say, this is crazy. It's because he's got a different spirit animating what he's doing. Matthew goes on to make explicit Jesus' attitude, what I have been saying implicitly about this story in a prophecy from Isaiah, verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. This prophecy is not about the miracle. The prophecy is about Jesus' attitude and the way he interacts with others. I love what one commentator says about verse 19 here in Matthew 12. Those who lead nations are mostly forceful characters, insistent on getting their own way. They tend to quarrel with anyone who hinders them. So sure are they that what they are seeking to accomplish is the right thing for the people they lead. Amen? Is that not the truth? This prophecy points out that God's servant, Jesus, is not set in this mold. He will not quarrel means that his mission is one of peace. It does not, of course, mean that he will not strongly oppose those who do evil but it affirms in strong terms, I love this, he will not try to impose his will on everybody regardless of their desires. 
he will do his work quietly, making no loud claims to underline his importance. The prophecy goes on to speak about Jesus. Verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. I love the imagery here of a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. Start with the bruised reed imagery. Many of you may have been to Reed's Lake here in town. If you go there, walk around it. There are reeds everywhere at Reed's Lake. They're extremely plentiful. In the ancient world, reeds were very useful. They used them for all sorts of things. They were also extremely plentiful. They're a plant that grow rather easily. A bruised reed is the idea, if you ever take a reed, although they're extremely, they were extremely useful in the ancient world, they're also somewhat fragile. That if you bend one, if you bruise one, if you break one, it's basically useless. What you would do is you would just throw that one away and get another one. They're everywhere. Jesus doesn't do that. Same thing with a smoldering wick. This is talking about a wick uh, in an oil lamp. If you've got a wick in an oil lamp and the light is flickering, all you would do is just throw away the wick. It's made of flax. You just put another one in. It's very easy to replace. What Jesus is saying or what is said about Jesus is, even a bruised reed or a smoldering wick, he doesn't throw away. Now, this is good news for us. Because for many of us, 2020 highlighted how much we are like bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. I don't know about you, but sometimes in sort of arrogance, I would read through stories in the Bible where there was a plague or some kind of movement of God, and I would think, what's the matter with those Israelites? Why don't they believe? What's the matter with those disciples? Why can't they get the right answer? And I would think to myself, well, if I went through something like that, I would respond a lot better. Guess what? Many of us didn't. And what 2020 highlighted, we're not nearly as strong as we think we are. Wearing masks, we're like, I can't do that. Quarantine, I can't do that. Trying to deal with fluctuations and is there going to be enough toilet paper? All sorts of things that you would think. Like if someone wrote a story about us, years from now, people would be like, you couldn't live without the toilet paper? You couldn't wear a mask? This year showed that we were not nearly as strong as we thought we were. And that many of us felt a lot more vulnerable this year than we expected to. That many of us got more discouraged than we thought we would. That a lot of us gave in to sin, slander, complaining more easily than we thought we would. We hear sermons or talks about, hey, look, respect your government leaders. Yeah, we got to do that. Not a minute goes by and we're already cutting them down. We think to ourselves, we are not going to talk about politics at Thanksgiving or Christmas. And then we get into it. And not just talking about politics gently, arguing forcefully for our position or our candidate or our way of thinking about things. And what this year showed 
is that we are more like bruised reeds and smoldering wicks than we thought we were. And the good news is, is all this time that we've been arguing and yelling and fighting and complaining and slandering and biting each other in the back and devouring one another, the whole year, Jesus has been walking gently alongside of us, refusing to throw us away. I think to myself, if I'm honest, with how easily we got discouraged, how easily we got afraid, how easily we began to doubt, how easily we gave in to sinful attitudes and thoughts. Jesus should have just thrown us all away and started over with somebody else. But that's not who he is. That is not what compassion looks like. And all the while we were complaining and arguing and doubting and being discouraged, Jesus just gently and quietly kept working with us. And we may have felt like broken reeds. We may have felt like smoldering wicks, like our lights were going out. And he said, but I refuse to let you go. I refuse to give up on you. This is the kindness and the love and the compassion of Jesus. Which brings us to our celebration of communion. I'm going to explain in just a minute the sort of logistics about how this is going to work. But here's what I'd love us to do during the time of communion, both at home and here in the sanctuary. Communion is a beautiful way to end 2020 and to look forward to 2021. And so there's three things I'd like us to do as we come and take communion. There's going to be time before, there's going to be time after. Uh, This is what I'd like us to do. Number one, communion is a great time to look back on 2020 and to say sorry to God for the ways in which we failed him this year. We went through a lot of tests. Sometimes we didn't do so well in them. This is the chance to say sorry for elevating politics, for being insensitive about injustice going on in our world, for arguing and complaining, for refusing to submit to governing authorities or church authorities. This is our opportunity to say sorry to Jesus for giving way to doubts or discouragement or despair when we should have kept going. This is our chance to say we're sorry. The second thing we do at communion is it's an opportunity to remind ourselves that because Jesus did choose this way, that we are saved. That this bread and this cup represent not Jesus calling down fire from heaven. This does not represent Jesus winning arguments with his opponents. The bread and the cup represent Jesus being led by a, like a lamb to the slaughter. And that because of his suffering, we are saved. And that the reason God didn't abandon us this year when we felt weak and sinful is because of what Jesus did for us. Communion is the chance to remember that. Thirdly, it's also the opportunity to say, hey, look, we have seen displayed for us in 2020 by government leaders, world leaders, famous people, media personalities, people in our workplace and our family. We have seen lots of examples 
of that sort of forceful personality. Communion is an opportunity to rededicate ourselves, not to be like that, but to be like this. To choose to be the kind of people who respond to antagonism with kindness. To choose to be the kind of people who don't give up on others who don't throw away bruised reeds or smoldering wicks, to choose to be the kind of people who don't turn a blind eye to injustice, but know that love and kindness and compassion is the way to approach it. So as we celebrate communion, this is an opportunity to think through these things. All right, how's this gonna work logistically? For those at home, what you wanna do is you've got bread and a juice at any point Uh, after we start singing or whatever, that you want to take that, that would be fantastic. For those who are here in the sanctuary, the way this is going to work is that if you are willing and able, uh, you'll be dismissed by Rose. You will exit your section to the right, come down front to the table that's in front of your section. There are two in the back for the tiered seating and four up front. When you come and stand in front of the table, there will be a pastoral staff member or an elder standing behind the table, and we're going to say words of blessing to you as you take the bread uh, and the cup. We will not be handing them to you. We have to, again, some social uh, distancing restrictions with COVID things. So you will take out of the trays your bread and your cup. If you would like gluten-free bread, they're in the brown baskets. Now here's the trick, and we've done it for two services, and I've explained it this way, but it still confuses people. When you look in the tray, you will think you are seeing only a juice cup. What you're actually seeing is two cups stacked on top of each other. The bottom cup has a piece of bread in it, and on top of that is a juice cup. When you take both cups out of the tray, You then lift the top cup out of the second cup and you will have one cup with a piece of bread in it and you will have one cup with some juice in it. You take the bread while you're standing right there and then the juice and then you throw both of them in the bin and then you return to your seat. If you forget, one of us will be right here and we will be glad to help you. This is family time. We're just doing this together as a family. let me say this, for social distancing, you will see that there are white lines on, uh, taped onto the floor. What we'd like you to do, if you've got small children with you who are coming through communion, even if, they don't, if you don't want them to take communion, we would still love to say a blessing over them. We'd be glad for you to bring them with you. If you have a small child and you wanna have them be with you at the white line, of course, that's fantastic. But for the most part, these lines do not represent where individual families will sit, stand, but individual people. So if there are five of you in your family or here together, one on each line. And that's so that for social distancing, as you take communion, it's really something we're doing individually as we engage with the Lord. And so uh, not groups at the line, but one person. You'll be dismissed by row. You just simply stand uh, at the line and then come forward. When you get to the front, you take off your mask. Uh, Those who are serving you will be wearing masks, but you can take off your mask receive the bread, take the bread in the cup, partake of the bread in the cup, throw away uh, the empty cups and return back to your seat. During the time, Andy and others will be leading us in a time of singing and worship, but this is our opportunity to think through 
saying sorry to Jesus for the ways we let him down in 2020, thanking him that this is who he is and because of this we are saved, and dedicating ourselves to once again try in 2021 to exhibit the attitude of Jesus as opposed to the attitude we see uh, demonstrated in the world around us. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.